You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. This is Debbie, and I'm here along with Christy, and we have a special guest today, another staff member. We're continuing our series, so we got somebody else on the hot seat. Um, we're excited about that. But Christy, what are we doing? Are we doing a word of the day? Are we actually doing a, hey, how was your week? Or are we doing a, what are we doing? Oh, well, I have two places we could go. I don't have okay. a word of the day, but I do have a verse that I, I like thought your was words interesting. Of the day. Those have been interesting. I haven't been hit by any new words. No words today. Uh, okay. Maybe I'm not reading very high-level information lately. <laughs> Just keeping it real, real. There you go. <laughs> but well, I you do understand. have a lot of kids at home, so I get it. Yeah, but, you know, even when... Those are the moments when you start reading because you want to check out That's on the true. kids. That's true. But anyway, um, I was reading... I thought this was interesting. Second Thessalonians 2, and there's a... Just a little part, which I am going to take it a little out of context in the sense of it says, do not be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word. And it's in the context of um, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist coming and all that. But I Mm -hmm. thought, how often do we allow a word about the future or conflict to shake us and cause us to go to crazy land? And how often should we kind of be like, okay, Lord, time out. Before I react, before I speak, I should not be quickly shaken or alarmed, mm-hmm. like taken aback, right? Like, oh, my God, did that really just happen? Because right. as Christians, we know we're all flawed, but yet so often. So studying Revelation, I feel like when we – I've always enjoyed studying Revelation or prophecy. So when things happen – I'm not like, oh, I can't believe that's happening. I can't believe there's another shooting. I can't. Well, no, it's just going to get worse and worse. Like, to me, I'm not shocked. I don't mm-hmm. function in fear on that. But when someone reacts a way that I didn't think they were going to react, that will alarm me. And I think I kind of got mad at myself this morning. Like, why do I allow that to bother me more so than the place, like the things of the world? Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, sure. So when you hear that, do not be quickly shaken in mm. mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word. What do mm. you think of? Yeah, I think of, um, that's interesting. Um, I was talking about somebody, I was talking with somebody about this just a couple of days ago, actually, because I was, we were talking about the library book issue at schools. Oh, that's and such how, a big deal. Wait, explain that more so okay. people don't know. I will. There's two issues with this. Number one, there is the issue that we have material out there that is not good for kids correct yes that's where has I'm always going. been truth that is true it's yeah. always been true i actually grew up in a place that had so much stuff in the libraries horrible for kids because where i was overseas in the uk was very liberal mm. so for me that is not an alarming thing mm-hmm. i had to live through that yeah. i lived through a great i was one of the only believers in my school um because of where we lived my dad was a missionary i mean it just you know but I see the alarm on other people and the response from mm. parents, the extreme response of 
we're angry at the school district. We're angry at librarians. We're angry at people. And they get very driven and hurtful, I would say, and respond in a way. Believers don't need to respond, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think there's a process you can go through in your school districts. I think that our school district has one. You just follow it. You bring it to their attention. They either take it off the shelf or they don't. But you talk to your kids, Mm -hmm. and you make sure you understand what they're bringing home. And then they watch you respond to the world in a way that's calm, that's full of peace, Mm -hmm. that demonstrates the gospel in a way that is like, this is part of living in the world. We Mm got to navigate this ugly, awful stuff. Right. And so when I think of what you, of um, the verse you just talked about, the responses we have, I think of just, I feel like the volatility right now of even believers and their extreme responses Mm. to things that are like you said, it's part of the world. Yeah. And, you know, I think um, we can respond better. We can learn to respond better. But the culture's changing, especially in the Bible Belt, and I think that really people have a hard time with that. Mm. Yeah. I think people struggle with it. So the response has been. But, I mean, in our libraries, there was some work that needed to be done. A hundred percent. And I think it's good to bring that to their attention. But I think a lot of school districts are doing the work. I think it's time to calm down. I think they're, they're, I mean, I think. Well, I just heard about Prosper doing their stuff last year because a mom brought it to people's attention. Mm -hmm. And I, but I had no idea. I was clueless. It's pretty much almost every school district at this point. Like Frisco's gone through it. I mean, we had a lot of issues. I mean, I've been tempted to email Mm -hmm. our librarian, but how does that come across on an email? Hey, do you have any of these graphic novels that show inappropriate Mm -hmm. positions with humans Mm -hmm. for my third grader to get a hold of? Yeah. Like I can't can't word it well yeah but I do want to reach out and ask well and it just reminds me of the book burning and the cd burning that happened in disco like it just that's how it feels and I'm like it feels very like um uh I don't like lynch mobbish you know yeah and I think it's we we gotta just calm down and do the work of building the relationships to really impact the people around us to make sure they remember yeah like being pro-life and pro mm-hmm. this in our life is more than just anti-abortion. It's more than just, mm-hmm. you know, um, put whatever subject you want there. It means we care about the lives of the people around us. Everybody, our yeah. kids and our, you know, our educators, our librarians who work really hard. I know mm-hmm. librarians who have felt very attacked. Oh, yeah. And that's it's what just, I don't. That's, that's sad what, to me. Well, and that's why I won't email her because I don't want to feel like I'm yeah. attacking her. When in re- reality, I just want to know, like, did we get rid of those? Yeah. Are they still here? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's, so that's what I think of. It's good. But you know, it, I mean, we don't again, it's long. another thing that go, it will, this will pass and then. It'll be something else. But I mean, when we, do you remember reading like Catcher in the Rye? Yes. Did you? Yeah. I mean, was that eighth was. grade or seventh grade? It was high school. I thought it was high school for me. Hmm. Okay, so that I was don't remember, older. but I read it. And so <laughs> that's not allowed anymore, right? Because the language, because of other mm. things. But I was like, that was, was like Huckleberry coming Finn. Huckleberry Finn. All yeah. those, I'm like, yeah. that makes me sad yeah. that we are saying all these books. Yeah. Like if you, if you really understood what Shakespeare was saying and all the, mm-hmm. and I love Shakespeare, the, the, just the depth of his symbolism and how mm. he talks about depravity and how he talks about the lack of good in people and how mm-hmm. easily we're swayed, whether it's Macbeth your face is Remy, really like, showing that look. She's sorry. like getting excited like, as her face. She's like growling as she's talking about it. I just, I'm a teacher. I'm an educator. I mm-hmm. love that. But 
I feel like we're robbing our kids of having those kind of really good conversations because we're scared of everything. Everything. What they're going to think. All those. Yeah. So then you go into classrooms too and teachers feeling attacked and all that kind of good stuff. Anyway. That was a good, wow, that was a good starter. That really, that conversation went off. Yeah, you got on the hot box. That was great. <laughs> Woo, we got you to watch that. You didn't even know you were going to start that. Ooh, usually it's a little more fluffy. <laughs> it's okay. Mike's going to add some fluff. I can feel it. He's full of fluff. <laughs> He's just watching us like, He's really? Like, what These is happening? are crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, we yeah. have Mike Gould with us today, pastor of creativity here at the church. You've been here for a year, two years? A year and a half. A year and a half. I almost said a year and a half. 18 months. Can you believe that? And you've wow. done some big things in 18 months, you man. Have. You've been very busy. impactful and busy, and we're thankful for that, too. Well, thank so. you. So you are married to Karen. How long have y'all been married? 23. 23 years, and you've got four kids. Yep. You just graduated one from college, yep. right? Just yep. one. Yep. One's graduated. One's in college. Yes. One graduated from Virginia and is now living in Knoxville. Okay. And then um, another in Austin at UT and two in high school, mm-hmm. 11th grader and a 10th grader. Very fun. You're close. So we're getting close. Close to the we empty nester. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I feel it. <laughs> but. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. So we just want to walk through and get to know you better. Right. So let's start with your title, Pastor of Creativity. What does that mean? Hmm. What, does what that do entail? you do? What Mike? do you do? do. <laughs> I think, uh, man, it's hard. I, I think we struggled to find a title that would work well for what I was supposed to bring or do that f- is a title should explain for you kind of what you do. So you don't have to explain it a lot, but we have not landed on a title. I don't think where I don't feel like I have to explain it. So here Hence I go again. My question. Yeah, here we go again. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I think it's been confusing and in some ways frustrating, you know, since I came because of that, but Mm -hmm. some churches would divide up like they'd have an executive pastor Mm -hmm. and then they'd have like an executive pastor of Sunday or weekends. Like, so they kind of have like someone that runs the church and the business side and the finance and the operations and manages staff and things like that. And another executive pastor, usually when they go to two, that's kind of how they divide it these days, I think, um, from what I understand. And the other would be the executive pastor of the weekends and the experiences. And so that's probably an easier way to do it, but we didn't want to have two executive pastor titles mm-hmm. here and because that's also confusing in different ways. And so pastor of creativity means usually you oversee like worship communications, online um, first impressions, you know, kind of like from the moment people turn into your campus and from parking lot through greeters, through, you know, the touch, taste, feel Mm -hmm. kind of sides of things. Um, Yeah. Beauty and, you know, So where did you get the idea to paint the building? How were you inspired for that decision? Hmm. For those of you not here, we will tell you, we just painted our worship center and like our two main big buildings. So yeah, we just painted it. It looks amazing, but yeah. Where'd you get the idea? Um, Well, I I drive up Main Street and I see, you know, just that's what businesses do. And Mm -hmm. and so many homes are being built, you know, Mm -hmm. in your neighborhood, just a mile north of here, a block north of here. And they're brick and they're being built and they're being painted immediately. Yeah. And so 
people sometimes have a rebellion right to paint mm-hmm. brick and mm-hmm. i'm like i don't at all like mm-hmm. i think it should be painted especially mm-hmm. when brick is a certain color mm-hmm. like you know and i think ours was just ready for a refresh and when i got here i remember feeling like i drove past the church maybe even when i came to interview the first time i drove past the church not seeing the church yeah and it was partially because trees were kind of blocking it it was partially because our church was really built facing the side street hummingbird right Mm -hmm. and then we've morphed over to main street and then now we've acquired more property on main street and that's the face of our church but it didn't look like the face of the church really that's not the Mm -hmm. front so much so we lifted the canopy of the trees so you could see it was a church and then you know you start looking at it and you go well it needs to be power washed or something and then you know so for me it was I don't know everybody I kind of say Chip and Joanna Gaines and then that gets repeated a lot but I mean if you pay attention to just homes and interior design and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which I'm a weird man that I pay attention to that stuff like it just seemed pretty clear to me that if we did that it would say to the city of Frisco that we are Mm -hmm. ready for people to come and we're doing something and we're going in a direction and so you know that that was my thought. Yeah. I love it. I love all the different responses. Looks like a zebra. Looks like a warehouse. <laughs> what? I mean, like, ser- ser- it looks like a zebra. Does it really look like a zebra? There's not stripes. It's just black and white people. But that's been fun here. It's urbane bronze, right. actually. <laughs> yeah. Zebras okay. are urbane bronze. There we go. I just think it's funny, people's responses. Well, and I think, too, if you've been here a long time, I remember the first oh, time change. I drove up, it was just, it was, for me, and I haven't even been here as long as some people, um, it was just a little startling because it's like, and we just remodeled our house. And I remember walking back in after we've been out for a couple of weeks. I'm like, this does not feel like home. Like you're going, oh, yeah. this, this isn't my house. Like it took a little bit. Yeah. And for a minute, Jamie and I were worried, like, did we do the wrong thing? Yeah. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. this doesn't feel like we don't like it. It doesn't feel like home. But now yeah, I thought we about love taking it. vacation like the, the first, like <laughs> the first sure? time paint goes on that wall. I was thinking about going out. You're of like, town. I'm going to go to the Bahamas. Yep. Well, I mean, so we we love it now. And I would say, um, number one, I drive up and especially when you see the green space you've done in between the buildings mm. and like you've done more than just paint. We just want to say that too. you've done. You've led the effort to really do a facelift over our grounds and stuff um, to make it feel just more homey and welcoming like you want to be here. Um, but you did say something, um, I remember when we were talking one time that you just said you wanted it to stand out too. So that if you're driving along main street, like right there, it's like a pop, like you see it and you're like, what is that? And then that struck me. Cause I think our brick did like you were it just blended into the trees. Like you said, you could go buy it and not even realize you passed something cause it, you didn't notice as much. Well, that has been achieved. You notice it now. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it really stands out mm-hmm. with a pop. Um, which I think is cool. But is there anything on the horizon that you can tell us about? Mm. Anything coming up that you can share? Um, Well, what I was thinking was, back to the title thing, that was one of the things we struggled with was if if my title was going to be Pastor of Culture. When I moved from Austin, I remember Matthew McConaughey all of a sudden got this title by the University of Texas, and it was, I saw it on the news, and it was Minister of Culture. And I was like, he got my title. Like, (laughs) That bum. And and so, like, That's when really we started funny. to talk about it, that was the thing. But the thought was, <clears throat> you know, changes, whether good or bad, would be kind of blamed on me, in a sense. And so we went with that different title. But um, I love that, because yeah. for me, that's, you know, I, I think 
I think that Frisco's moving so fast and mm-hmm. it's culturally it's pretty far ahead and people mm-hmm. are moving here from California mm-hmm. and and people are high tech that are moving in and that sort of thing and so you know for me it's I think we should be bridging the gap of like you know we should be forward thinking it's mm-hmm. not that the yes. gospel message changes but how we how we present it should change so mm-hmm. um and I didn't answer your question. That's okay. What was the, what was the no, actual No, anything. Um, I'm glad you said that. He doesn't want to answer horizon. Yeah. Like, yeah, so you can avoid it. Well, that was the other thing. No, so maybe people don't know, but um, part of doing this was that at the at the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, I don't remember. I've heard different things, and I'm sure it changes and morphs, but we were about a month away from either the vote on, you know, and we were going there to mm-hmm. break ground and build a building. We were a month away from building. Okay, yeah, I, a month. Ground. I yep. didn't know if I was exaggerating. No, we're saying you're right. we were three or four weeks away from mm-hmm. breaking ground, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic hit and we stopped. And I, I distinctly remember when I first got here, feeling like I was hearing regularly that people were kind of disappointed. They were mm-hmm. carrying around this like, shoot, we were finally about to do that. Yep. And so, for me, you know, the green space and the painting of the building is like gaining forward momentum Mm -hmm. and so we've got forward momentum and then also you know one thing that I love to say whenever I talk about that which is true is that we didn't take a nickel from the rooted to grow building campaign to do any of what we've done Mm -hmm. so it's kind of I think it's for the psyche of our church it's that we are doing something we are going forward and and we are and we're about to you know we're, we're beginning to meet with architects again because you know, we acquired those two properties that are on Main Street. So now we have the block on Main Street. So we've got to redo our master plan. So, um, you know, yesterday we met with some city officials and we're meeting with um, the architects next week. And so we're kind of, yeah, so that's what's on the horizon is figuring out what to build and how it Mm -hmm. reaches Frisco and how it's useful for those of us that are already here. Because what we've learned is you can't, I mean, you can't even do anything until we do the master plan, another master plan that includes the additional land we purchased and everything else. So it's not like we even have an option, like a master plan has to happen because we've acquired property. Um, And I do think that it's kind of the, it's those little background things that you guys deal with all the time that a lot of people in the church don't know. Right. Because, everybody's giving money they want to so what they see what they know is what they're living when they come on sunday mornings Mm -hmm. right they don't know all the behind the scenes stuff that you guys have to deal with with the city um the requirements all that kind of stuff so is that hard sometimes like your people think they know but they don't and they're you're having to explain yourself a lot like how do you live with that tension all the time yeah, you know well, you and I, the both of y'all know this about me because we've talked about it within this week. But I enjoy one-on-one conversations. So mm-hmm. you know, standing up in front of the church and explaining something is not like something. It's I'm not something you like. Anxious to do, right? <laughs> or I get anxious doing it. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I don't mind the questions, um, and I get them a lot. But it's not the most efficient way to tell people one at a time right, what's right, going on. Hard. But but that does happen. I was at a school meeting last week, and somebody. Somebody came up and they were asking that question about, was this, you know, part of Rooted to Grow? And it was not what we gave our money to. And I said, oh, no. And, you know, so in church. Oh, so you're having to explain, make sure people do know that those two Mm -hmm. things are separate. Oh, absolutely. It's having to answer to the questions that come up. And I think the the tendency for us, you know, for for leaders is to just, 
we've, we've said it. We gave our answer. You know, we sent out an email. We sent out a e-newsletter, and we announced it in church. And I think people can easily miss all of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's something we're working on in our communication is to say less so what's said is actually heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've said it. We've made an announcement. And that kind of has happened with different changes we've made in worship as well. Like, you have to say it three times for people to hear it. And then, as you and I discussed yesterday, there are volunteers that never even make it into the worship service. So if we think we've communicated it and then communicated it and communicated it, you know, to the point of beating it to death, there are still a lot of people that haven't heard it. So have to do it again. Yeah. So we do get a lot of those questions. People don't understand, um, you know, what or why. And, and, you know, we, I remember somebody asking, (laughs) they were like, are you, why would we paint that building? We're going to knock it down in two years. And I was like, Oh, Oh I'm sorry, you don't understand mm-hmm. like how long it takes for churches to build and outgrow mm-hmm. space and would level something that's worth what that building is worth. So, yeah. um, you know, some people just, you know, they, th- they think of us as target and I'm like, no, we're not going to knock that building down. Mm-hmm. I think that building will outlive me for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, people, yeah. It's good. we try to yeah. explain and we try to find our avenues to communicate, but it, it is tough. Yeah, it is. And then, <clears throat> so what do you, so I guess let's go back and talk about the formative stuff, like who made it. Yeah, I was like, this Mike is boring. Gould. I'm done with this. Let's go talk about Mike. <laughs> Mike Gould, the way, the who, you know, mm. who he is. So um, <laughs> explain to us a little bit, like how you grew up, where you grew up, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I feel like the this basics. is boring, but okay, basics we'll try. Of life. No, the basics. this is what we love to hear. I was born in Western New York, so grew up in a little tiny town for the first nine years of my life. It was awesome. Lived on 21 acres, complete freedom. Didn't have to ask my you parents. didn't wear shoes? Never, nothing. Yeah. You know, just, awesome. yeah. Well, nothing. Um, <laughs> so, and then I moved, we moved to Virginia when I was nine years old. My dad wanted to work for a ministry there, and he was a school teacher, so we went down there. So I grew up in a private Christian school from fourth grade, really through seminary, was in the same place. I took some breaks, but... Um, was that a culture shock? That had to be a pretty big, or do you even remember? Do you even remember? I was nine. So, I mean, I remember never, the, the thought that I have is I remember when I was little, just, I never thought about like what I looked like in the mirror, like mm. just gave no thought to anything about, you know, impressing other people and then moving to a private Christian school, all of a sudden, you know, Oh, oh that changed. now, yeah, that, mm. that was the only awareness that I kind of woke up to. Mm. Um, but yeah, we lived in. Central Virginia for, you know, the majority of my life and, um, siblings, two older sisters. So, um, yeah, people always wonder like, yeah, never mind. I don't even <laughs> want to go into that. <laughs> like why I'm more comfortable talking to the ladies is because I've been surrounded by females yeah. my whole life, well, all well, female cousins go. and sisters and, yeah. you know, just so, um, yeah, I like sometimes in small groups and stuff, I've like, like the guys are talking about, like I don't know, like Lord of the Rings, and I'm mm. like, oh y'all are so boring. And I, what are the women talking about? And they're like talking about relational stuff, and I'm like, hey, what are y'all? Can, yeah, I, can exactly. I come be with you can in the I kitchen? Can I join this conversation? Yeah, totally happens all the time. It's weird. No, it's not. It's awesome. I it's mean, great. I think so. It's too. wonderful. So, um, so you're in Virginia, and then you go to college where? I went to Liberty, studied oh, sports Liberty. management. Yeah. Yeah. Sports, sports management, sports management, also. I Did didn't you really? know that? I didn't know that either. Wow, that's a fun fact. Yeah. Okay. So Christy and Mike have that in common. Yeah. You both studied sports management. That's yep. weird. I had two brother-in-laws that worked for the New York Mets, and 
So I was always, they were like the single A ball team in my town. Yeah. I loved baseball growing up. I wanted to be a pro baseball player. Wow. That's still all I want to do. Still so, yeah. You aspire to be a yeah. pro baseball player. So you played? Player. Do you play in high school? Um, it, yeah, in yeah. high school and that's yeah. it. And um, yeah. Did you so, like your days at Liberty? They weren't bad. They weren't bad. I mean, I, I wish, in, in ways I wish, like I, I think the school... It's it's kind of sad. I've always felt this way, even when Jerry Senior was alive. Mm-hmm. Like when he when people outside of Lynchburg heard about something he said, it was usually because he put his foot in his mouth, you know. Yeah. And so I realize when I leave Lynchburg, it's like, oh, he's that guy. And it's like mm-hmm. you have three things that you heard about him, and they were all weird things, and it left a bad impression. But my experience of Jerry Senior was, he was a great dude. That's he was awesome. a really good man, and. Um, you know, and then again, even now, like there's just more drama that's happened around mm-hmm. the school, and that's it is a shame because it's a good school. Yeah, the, people the, who have gone there said that I know have said they love the school. It's like any other place on earth. There's going to be yeah. problems, but and you know there are there are problems, right? Mm-hmm. There are privileged people that get away with more than than others, mm-hmm. and so yeah, it's just. Um, but my my experience was okay. I think I think back then. We were one of the first sports management programs in the country, and so it was still forming. Mm-hmm. And then even my my seminary was, my my concentration was worship. And when I look back on that, I go, it was kind of, I don't know, it was just not what I, what it would be today. It mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of music involvement. It was just sort of theoretical, and you know, therefore, as quick as culture changes, it kind of. You know, it's rather irrelevant in ways. So that would have probably been the because seminary didn't even typically have a worship. That kind of came out in the 80s, right? In 90s, where they started adding the worship emphasis at seminary. So were you on the beginning edge of even that? I was there in 2001 to three. Okay. So so it'd been around a little while. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was pretty much determined by the chairman of that department. And mm. it was just, it was, it was good. It was good. I think what you're hearing me hesitate to say is that I had a little too much of liberty, I think. Mm, there you go. You know, fourth grade through seminaries a lot. I did. So I did walk away for sure. I mean, I graduated at 22 and then I ended up in seminary when I was, you know, 31. So there was a season of walking away from mm. all of that and, you know, even walking away from I don't know if I walked away. I don't even know exactly. Like, I think I received Christ at three years old. Yeah. But um, but there was something major that happened, like, at 27 that was either, you know, either a very strong wake-up call or it was the first time I really believed. Can you share that? I'm like, let's talk about that. Yes. Hmm. That's the interesting stuff. Come on. All right. Well, so, yeah, I, I, I after Liberty, I got a job. And I don't even know how all of this happened, but I was working at a corporation in Lynchburg and, um, and it was a big company with like 3000 employees. And somehow like I got invited to like sing with a band in the basement of a house. And I was like, I don't like, no one would have ever like, I don't know why I would have been asked to do that. Like I'm Mm. pretty private and no one would have ever have heard me sung before ever. But there was a kid I went to high school with that was the drummer, and I was like, um, he goes, well, there's there's free beer. And I was like, oh, okay, well, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come do that. And so we were just kind of playing music in a basement, and um, I remember they announced, like, we're having a coming out of the basement party. And so it just sort of kind of took me with it. And, and, you know, so for probably four or five years, we just played music in bars and that sort of thing. And 
after, you know, a period of time that started to affect who I was and how I was living and, you know, being kind of the center of a little, you know, of whatever party was going on Mm -hmm. on Fridays and Saturday nights in my town in bars, you know, Mm -hmm. I just got sucked into that culture. And, um, so just, you know, so spent about four or five years, you know, partying and just with people that I wasn't really used to being around. And, and then I remember going, I remember the thought being, I want to do something more meaningful with my life than, you know, sell mobile phones. Cause we were, it was Ericsson, mm-hmm. Ericsson GE, which was a, you know, a mobile phone manufacturer mm-hmm. basically. And so, um, I decided, you know, I'm kind of weird this way, and we talked about this yesterday, but I was like, well, I'm done here then. I quit, and I quit my job, and I packed all my things, and I sold. I had a house I sold and moved to um, a school in North Carolina, Elon College, and just literally went door-to-door and found the the apartment complex I wanted to live in, and I went door-to-door, and because there was a waiting list of like 200 kids that wanted to live in this area, and I... I knocked on a door and there was a a guy who answered the door literally with a bag on his shoulder. And, and he said, well, I'm moving out. And there's this guy over, you know, at this, he works at this bar. If you go ask him, if he does, you can tell him if he doesn't give me my $100 deposit today, I'm going to give it to you. And so I did that and came back and, and it worked. And (laughs) this guy was moving to Campbell university and he, so I moved in. I didn't ask who my roommates were, didn't meet my roommates. And, so um, I was there for like a week or two before the fall semester started. I was attempting to study music, so that was full circle. Like I was the more meaningful with my life I thought was music, and um, so I was going to start in this music school. So I already had my undergraduate degree, but went into there, just moved in, started taking undergraduate music progr- or, uh, music classes, and my two roommates showed up, and I'll leave their names out of, of this, but <laughs> two roommates showed up, and... And, you know, they were, they were wild. They were part of a fraternity and, um, it was a little bit nuts and lots of partying going on in that area, which was probably why I chose that. And I continued to, to be me and party, but I was, you know, I was 27 and I moved in with these, you know, like 20 year old Mm -hmm. kids basically. And so I remember there were a couple of really interesting moments to me. Um, one was, this was this will date me, this is a long time ago, but there was the MTV Music Awards were on that yes. year. And it was, I was watching them with like 30 kids crammed into an apartment, like three doors down from us. That's funny. And it was, um, it was the year Marilyn Manson was like, mm-hmm. he closed the show and Chris Rock was the MC. And Marilyn Manson came out. And I guess the later the MTV Music Awards got, the weirder they got. But like I, you know, I came from Liberty. I came from my little bubble. Mm-hmm. I didn't. So I'm sitting somehow I'm sitting like felt like I was the closest person to the TV. And then there were all these people behind me. And, you know, again, very party, very much a drug culture and that sort of thing in that in that space. And and I remember Marilyn Manson came out and he put out a pulpit. And it said on the front, I guess it was the name of his album. I didn't know any of this, but it said Antichrist Superstar or something like that. And um, and he said, he opened with, you know, we're going to sing this song and, you know, we're not going to let you effing Christians hold us down. Mm-hmm. And and it was very much stronger than I just said it. And I was just kind of like startled. It was jarring. And, yeah. And he sang Beautiful People and... At the end, I remember Chris Rock had, you know, how they always run out of time at the end. Mm-hmm. So Chris Rock came out and he, he was like, 
everybody go to church right now. Go to church. You know, good night. That sort of thing. And and I turned around. I was like, whoa, that. And and I the whole room was just like staring at me in silence. And I was like, that is creepy. And so, um, you know, sometimes when I think back of those things, I go, maybe I was already saved and maybe the Holy Spirit was already living in me. I had just like shoved him down and yeah, Mm -hmm. quite a bit. So, but you know, I, I, there were times like that, I guess I could say that I just felt like I was a foreigner. Mm -hmm. I didn't belong there. Mm -hmm. Somehow I wandered into the middle of this and, you know, so that was one. The, the, another is, um, yeah, I used to go back and forth with one roommate. They had a huge stereo in the living room and, and one of my roommates was, I, I, I think they were both a part of the occult. They would have mm-hmm. said that, but one was very public. One was very private about that. Um, one had a personalized license plate that said Warlock, mm. W-A-R-L-O-K. And I just, I didn't even think about that. I was so busy being a, you know, a pothead that I was like, mm. oh, you accept everybody. This is whatever. And he's locked in a war. I don't know. I didn't even think about it until afterwards. I was like, oh, a warlock is a male witch. And he took that very seriously. And he listened to all, you know, mm. hard metal or demonic music. And so he would, we would Play go in the living room. loud and... Yeah, he would go in and he would crank it. And then I would pull out like a Stephen Curtis Chapman CD, which like, I don't know. That was like, I remember like as a kid not being allowed to, you know, go to him. The Imperials, or I don't know what. The Imperials, I, I love yeah, them. Yeah. Oh, so Stephen Curtis Chapman was like as cool as it got for me, I think, at that point. I don't know, not really. Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I don't know what, yeah. Yes. I love them too. So I would play a song, and he'd play a song, and I'd play a song, and he'd play, and I just... Um, You're having spiritual warfare right there. It was weird. In music form. And <laughs> that was the year that um, I remember watching the news in our living room, and it was like normally not watching the news with college kids, but it was the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh. And I remember being in there with those two roommates and maybe some other kids. I don't remember, but I just remember going, man, like at the end of the news clip going, that dude decided that a hundred and some people, you know, the kids were without parents and there were some kids that died, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. Yes, because just, it was a daycare. daycare. Yeah, I remember just mm-hmm. going, man, that is awful. And I remember the other roommate, the one that was more low-key, um, he just said it really, what if the God he served told him to do it? And I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that, okay, I'm not in, I'm not at liberty anymore. No. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I slowly was finding out that these guys were different. And, um, and then like, long story short, one night, um, partying and, and I, um, I think I'll leave out, you know, what substances were mm-hmm. involved, but substances were involved. And, um, and I remember it was late one Saturday night and I just, we were outside in front of our house and, you know, it was just partying outside and people up the hill from us, um, were also partying. And I was out there with maybe, I don't know, 15 people just like almost standing on our little front stoop thing. And, and I started hearing sounds and I couldn't make out what they were. And it was these people up the hill were like, they were throwing bottles at us. And so the guys that were around me, you know, just, they were like, let's get them. You know, they, they wanted to fight. And I was like, Oh no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm just going to go inside. Then you don't get hit by bottles. And, yeah. and so they all were like, Oh, okay. And they just kind of came inside and it was like, wow, that was really weird. Like people don't typically follow me that well. And so, you know, it became a thing. We went into the neighbor's house and, and, um, yeah, I don't know how much detail to get into here, but like, go for it. 
Um, it's good. Well, we went in, we sat down, and I remember walking in, and like the guy that was one of the guys that lived there, he was like, come on in, sit in my chair. And he said, here, and he put his, his marijuana bong in front of my face. He said, smoke my weed. And it was like, I was feeling like I was kind of being treated like a king. And like, there were these girls around the coffee table on the sofa, and they wouldn't look me in the eyes. Like, I just kept trying to lean into their eyesight. And they wouldn't, they wouldn't make eye contact with me. And then I turned my attention back to where he was, and he was on a phone. This was back when phones were on the wall. Mm -hmm. And he was like, um, he goes, he's here, and he's got a knife to my throat. What do I do? What do I do? And I was like, whoa, what is he talking about? And like, as I, again, like, I think I was, I was, you know, under the influence and just waking up to what this was. And I was like, oh, he's, he might be talking about me. Like, cause nobody's got a knife to his throat. And, um, you know, so, and it was just like, it was the, the voice he was using. It sounded like demonic and, mm. Anyway, and I, then I started listening to, like, what was being played, and, you know, hate to play the Marilyn Manson card twice, but it was, again, it was Marilyn Manson mm-hmm. that was being played really loud, and and there were, like, you know, I don't know, like I said, nine or so people in the room, and I remember Kevin, there's his name, but he, he, you won't get his last name. No, we won't say his last name. He was across the room from me, and um, I remember going, I gotta get out of here, and um, I was like, I'm gonna walk over to that couch, sit down by him. And then I'm going to drop off a pack of smokes because he always bothers me for smokes. And sorry to admit that I had smokes. But um, but I, you know, I walked over, I sat down by him and I kind of gave him those. And I said, I'm, I'm getting out of here. And, and he was he didn't even really it didn't phase him really that I was talking to him. And he was looking at those three girls again. And he was like and there was one other girl um, named Sarah that had just gotten off work at a coffee shop and and she kind of found her way into this group sort of through me. Like I would give her a ride to campus. We were just off campus and I would give her a ride. And she was just this, I think, an innocent little freshman girl. And um, and so she kind of was just trying to find friends. And so, you know, she was there, I think, sort of because of me. And he was looking at those other three girls and Sarah. And he goes, doesn't she just look very different from the other three? And I was looking and I was like, yeah, she really does. Like the other three just look like pale, like mm-hmm. almost like dead and just blank. And Sarah looked normal. And I was like, wow, that's really weird. I don't, I didn't know what to make of that, but he pointed it out and I agree. And I was like, Hey, I'm out of here. So I got up and left and I went out their front door and in ours and th- they were literally the apartment right next door. So, you know, what separated me was a six inch wall from, mm-hmm. from these people. But I went into my apartment and walked through and I, I was like, man, I like at that point I had realized, I think what was like, I was like, I am in a, like, this is my Horrible. dead end. This yeah. is my dead end. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. And you know, the question that was running through my mind was who do you call when you're on drugs? Do you call the police? And when you're on like, you know, heavier drugs mm-hmm. than marijuana, especially, and even back then marijuana was enough to get you in trouble. But, mm-hmm. um, I was like, man, you know, but I picked up our, you know, cordless kitchen phone, I was just going to call my mom because my mom's always been the person, like if you call her, the helicopters will come in like within five minutes is at least the thought. And, um, and it was dead it just, you know, it'd been on the charger, but it was completely dead. And then I was like, man, and I went into my bedroom, picked up the phone in there, same thing. And so, you know, again, feeling surrounded, feeling like there's no one to call, no one to, you know, reach out to. And I walked out of my back door and up the hill and 
out across this field where they were building a soccer field and it was, you know, North Carolina, the mud is red, almost like orange. And, um, I didn't even know it, but it had been raining and I was sinking like in my in boots, like pretty deeply. My dog went out there with me and I remember feeling like this is my wandering in the wilderness. Like I just started praying and I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't believe it. You know, I didn't, I didn't believe maybe that you were real. I didn't. Mm. And I just basically repented, but I also felt like I couldn't just walk out my back door and never walk back in or just, you know, I felt like I had to go back for whatever reason. I was like, I've got to go back in there. And so I walked back in, you know, after some period of time and walked in through my bedroom, which was on the, you know, back of the apartment on the main level, walked in through the kitchen into the living room. And several of those people had come into the apartment at this point. And, um, you know, like two or three guys. And then Sarah was one of the people in there. And, um, pause me if I need to take a break or breathe. No, you're good. <laughs> okay. You're great. I'm you're waiting good. to see what happens. Oh, yes. well, um, so I walked in and I'm, I'm tracking mud all over. Didn't even know it. It was the furthest thing from my mind. And Kevin, I've mentioned his name before, so I'll say it again. Um, Kevin just, he, he goes, look at the blood you've tracked in. Look at the blood. Oh. And I was like, Whoa, what's going on? And, um, Sarah said, you're freaking him out. Like it's mud, you know? And I, and I was like, I'm sorry, I'll clean it up. And, and it just, you know, it was all this, I don't know. It was just very, it was very dark. And, um, and I remember at one point, um, a couple more guys came in and I remember them saying they, one of the guys pointed and he said, death has come for you. And like he pointed along the baseboard of the wall. And after he pointed a shadow moved in and I was like, I just saw that that, that I really saw, Mm -hmm. like, and I, um, you know, I just felt like, like we had a, we had a bar also in the living room and one of the places where, you know, drinks and drugs were kept was underneath the bar. And at one point I looked over and there was a guy standing there with his hands beneath the bar, like looking like he was doing something under there. And I was like, this is it. I was standing kind of at the end of the bar and I was like, they are going to stick a needle into my arm Mm -hmm. and it's going to look like an overdose. I'm dead. This is it. And just having never been in that place before, I just was like, this is it. This is my dead end. And so I just put both arms above my head and I was like, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when I said that, like literally, like the other roommate, I'll say his first name, Brandon. Brandon fell down on the floor and, and, you know, everybody kind of pushed back. And I was like, I can't even believe what is happening right now. I've never experience this. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'd never want to experience it again, but I, but I went eventually like when I'd stop saying that people would come back towards me and I don't know where that came from, but it's Philippians two, nine, 10, 11. And it's, you know, I think I memorized it in Awana growing up. And so when I'd stop saying it, they'd kind of come back towards me and they're like, Oh, you're going to put up a fight. And I was like, Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I kept saying it, and at one point, Brandon was on the floor, like, writhing, and I went over, I don't know why I would do this, but I straddled him, sat on his chest, put two fingers, because I was trying not to be aggressive, but I looked into his eyes, and I kept saying it, and his eyes were rolling around in the back of his head, and, like, this sounds really crazy, but, um, like, I went back to Lynchburg after this, and I, like, went to the public library, and I, like, pulled out books on like Satanism and Uh witchcraft and Uh all of that stuff. And I just like one of the things that was not written by Christians, but was in these books was that, 
you know, that like when there's demonization, like people's bones are actually like twisted and bent out of shape. And like when I was looking at his face, I was seeing all of this going on and, and he was screaming, I'm blind and I can't see. And so, you know, I was like, I don't know where to go from here, but I got up, I walked back into my room, closed my door, locked it, this little piddly, you know, apartment door, which couldn't keep anyone out. But I was like, okay. The next scripture that came to mind was, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I was like, this is my room. I pay rent for this place. This is mine. And so um, I tried to put on, <laughs> again, a Stephen Curtis Chapman disc because they had loud music going on. And I, my CD player, and this is, I, I struggle saying this out loud because I know people check out at this moment. Mm. Like people don't really believe this, but it comes in a little bit later with my dad. But I put in the, the CD, turned the power on, opened the door, put in the CD, closed the door, hit play, and the display locked on 66, and it wouldn't play the disc. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'm out of here. So I walked out the back door, around the building, towards my car, and I was like, I'm not even going to make it to the car, because the front of our apartment, the door was standing open. I was like, they're going to see me. I, and I just, but I was just like, I didn't look. I just kept my eyes on my car, put the key in the door, unlocked it, started it, drove off couldn't believe it. I thought I wasn't going to make it. And then I'm so nervous for you. Like I, I had a tail light out. I had just been pulled over by like campus police and told like you have a brake light or a tail light out. And, um, and I was just like, I just have to go to a church right now. Like I, I need to. And so, and I was on empty. It was mm. like kind of mm. crazy. And I went to the campus church, which didn't feel like I, when I drove up there, it just didn't feel, I don't know how to explain that, but it didn't feel like a godly place. It just felt dark, and so I was like, that's not the one. So I kept going, and then I went to another church where I hadn't attended church, but I'd played basketball with some guys at a church, and so I went there, and then I remembered I had brought Kevin one time to play basketball, so I was like, all right, I'm not. that's not the one either. They'll think to look here. And then I started driving, and I, don't, I didn't even know what direction, and I still couldn't even tell you exactly what direction I was going, but I, I saw my gas gauge on empty as I was driving down the highway, and... So I took an exit. I pulled into like a day's in um, because it was like 4.30 in the morning. And I pulled in and I when I pulled in, I watched the lady that was behind the desk at the, you know, in the foyer. And she was talking to a security guard. And I pulled into a parking space. And I was just like sure by the way they looked at me, they were going to come like mm -hmm. say something to me. But I just, I parked my car and I closed my eyes and I prayed and like kept waiting for the knock on the window. Mm. And it never happened. And when I opened my eyes, it was like, it started to be dawn. And mm. so I was like, all right. So I started my car, drove to get gas, used a credit card to document my whereabouts. I kept thinking for whatever reason, I kept thinking about OJ Simpson. And I was like, you know, when you run, it looks like you did something. And I felt like, you know, scripture was like coming to life for me at this moment. And I was thinking about you know, the scriptures in Psalms and Proverbs that say that evil men are robbed of their sleep until they cause someone to stumble and there are bloodthirsty men. And I, like you just said about Revelation, like the world hasn't gotten any better mm -hmm. since the book was written. And so like they're still here. And so bloodthirsty men are robbed of their sleep till they cause someone to stumble. And I was just like, I'm going to use a credit card to get this gas and like document where I was and was still nervous because it had taken so long to get there and all that stuff. But anyway, started driving a little further and I saw a sign that said like seven miles to Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh was a little town where my brother-in-law had been a pastor at a little, little church, um, while he was in seminary down there. And so I was like, that's it. I'm going there. And so I drove there, 
and I went to their like little graveyard. Like I had, I had done some music at their church before I had helped Dean like dig a grave for a little baby that had passed mm-hmm. away in the church. And so I was like, all right, this is, this is the spot. This is Holy ground. So I just, I was in their cemetery of all places, like mm, right beside the, the little Baptist church, just like praying and singing. And then I finally went down, sat on the steps of the church and a little, little old man named pastor Singletary pulled up in his, you know, like big, I remembered as a big white Cadillac. It was a big old man car, but, mm-hmm. um, and I like, he pulled up and I like went kind of bounding down to his car and he looked me up and down and I think I dressed kind of weird at the time. And he was like, man, you look like you've had a really rough night. And I was like, yes, sir, I have. And he was like, would you like to come in and talk about it? I said, yes, sir, I would. And so we walked up the steps and we started to walk, you know, it was a little church. So down the main, and I started to take my boots off and he was like, don't worry about that. Come on in. And so I went back and he was like, Hey, I'm going to make a phone call real quick. Um, and he, he let me go call my dad and he was on another phone and he called some deacons and he said, Hey, there's this young man here that looks distressed and can, can y'all start to come up this way? And I'm going to talk with them. And I called my dad and I just unloaded as quickly Mm -hmm. as I could in two minutes what had happened. And my dad's first thing, you know, my dad's a strange man in a, a lot of ways, but, um, his, his first and only question was, where's your dog? And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess she's back there. And he's like, you get that dog. So I was like, okay. And then I sat down with Pastor Singletary, and and he said, oh, well, what's going on? I said, sir. I said, I said, I guess. Um, I said last night. I guess. I guess. You know, my roommates tried to kill me, and drugs were involved, and you know, I just started to like ramble. And he and um, he was like, I said, I guess I didn't believe until last night that, but God is real and Satan is real, and my roommates tried to hurt me, and drugs were involved, and. And he goes, calm down, calm down. And he goes, um, did they laugh at you? And I said, did they laugh at me? It wasn't like it wasn't like human laughter. It was like a cackle from within. And he said, I know. And I was like, you know, like you're just, I, in my mind. I didn't say this out loud, but you know, you're 75 years old with all that white hair. Like you don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And it's that's you know when I've shared my testimony before, I'm always like, you know, hey, young people. Like yeah. the old people have lived a little bit. <laughs> like, I don't know how this dude knew, you know, he had been a military chaplain and all this stuff. And then he'd probably seen a lot. Yeah. Military I so. chaplains, I think see a lot. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I mean, I just, um, I, I think that moment, oh, and the next question he asked was, he said, have you ever thought about being a pastor? And I hmm. remember just going, no, like I'm currently still under the influence. I have not thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember they tried to, they took me to a Sunday school class and I sat in the Sunday school class and it was really strange. And it was, um, yeah, I, I was like, I'm leaving, I'm getting out of here. And I walked out the side door and the guy that had taught Sunday school was out there smoking a cigarette, which I thought was also kind of funny. And, um, but I was like, I, I'm not staying for church. Like mm-hmm. I just, I got in my car, went back, got my dog, Did ran into one dog? of the, yeah, got my dog, ran into one of the two roommates and he was walking around with just shorts on, no shirt, no shoes. And, um, and he had, he had borrowed a vacuum cleaner from Sarah and had vacuumed, like it was almost perfect. Like he had vacuumed the mud that you had trucked through yeah. there. And he was panicking and he was like, what was that? I, I, what, you know? And I said, you know exactly what that was. That was spiritual warfare and I'm out of here. And, and he was like, don't leave, you know, and kind of like clinging to me. And I said, I threw him a shirt. I remember exactly the shirt I threw him, but I threw him this dark blue long sleeve shirt and I said, get in the car. And we went, I bought lunch for the both of us. And then we went to another church and we sat and ate at a picnic table. 
and I tried to talk him into coming back to mm-hmm. Virginia with me. I said, I'm going to Virginia, man. I, I said, I know godly men there. I'm going to get help. Um, and I said, you should come too. And he said, oh, no, no, I can't do that. He said, my mom would kill me. I've got to stay here. And Oh, for college. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I said, you do what you need to do, but I'm out of here. And so I took him back, dropped him off. And at that point, I ran into the other, the more publicly, mm-hmm. you know, um, the warlock license plate dude. And and he kind of, I started to walk out. I got just enough stuff. Um, and I, sorry, I, walk, I walked to the front door and he kind of stepped in front of the door and um, he, he could have whooped my tail too. Mm. Like I was just ready for all of that. And he just, he said, Hey, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to Virginia. kind of gave him the lowdown. He was like, um, he goes, you know, you don't have to tell anybody what happened last night. And I was like, yeah, I'm not making any deals with you. And is he normal looking normal? Like it's daylight. Like is everything on his face looking Normal again? Yes. Yes. That, that yeah. sounds horrible to say, but it sounds I mean, like there was. It, it didn't look a like he was well rested. Yeah. Um, and when you're on drugs, right? Well, he, I mean, he wasn't even a drug user, which was really, really? weird. Just being possessed. I think drugs influence. are a gateway to a lot of crazy spiritual stuff, you know, because it just. I don't know. It can be. It's for not sure. normal. <laughs> but did <laughs> he know? look. So when you were talking to him, he was saying this. Was he like in his right mind? Yes. He was yeah. totally sober. Yes. Okay. So then he lets you out. Yeah. So I, I got out and I, and he, he was angry and he had a, his car was a Mustang 5.0 and he like got in it. You know, I got in my little Honda Civic and, mm-hmm. you know, put it up the hill, but he tore out of the parking lot. And like, I felt like he's going to be, you know, up at the top of the parking lot, like not letting me out. And, you know, so I just, but I drove home. I, I, it was like a, yeah. So I got home. And I, I stayed with my dad and, uh, and the next day was Monday and we kind of decided late in the day, like it felt like it was like three in the afternoon. We were like, let's just go down there and pack everything up. So we go grab, back to the apartment. Yeah. So drive back to North Carolina, pack oh everything my. up and get me out of there. So my dad, you know, I told him all this and he had, a, so we took his truck down and we, we went and we walked into our, my apartment and it was getting close to dark. And so I, like he, even he was nervous, but I was mm-hmm. nervous and we walked in and we just, started like, you know, pulling stuff out of the closet, throwing mm-hmm. stuff in. And, and I remember walking into my room and, and I had told my dad this and he's over there like getting stuff out of the closet. And I said, dad, look, the CD player, it's still locked on 66. Like I wanted him to see that. Mm-hmm. And he didn't even turn around. He just went like this, you know, just waved me off. Mm-hmm. He was like, just unplug it. Let's go. You know? <laughs> and I was like, wow, like I'm such a doubter it. that I would have wanted to see that. Yes. I would have been like, I need that. Did he, is he telling the truth? Cause it yeah. seems like such an unbelievable thing to have happened. And so I just, that's my dad though. He's like a very faithful man. And that was part of why I went back to get my dog because my dad's never led me astray. So I'm like, my dad said, go get the dog. I'm going to get the dog. It's that easy. Mm. So, um, we got out of there and, um, yeah, Brandon wasn't there, but Kevin was there. I remember saying goodbye to him and yeah, just kind of pulled out, went back and it was, it was a long I mean, I was, I was literally, I hate to admit it, but I was, I was literally afraid of the dark for at least two years, like Mm -hmm. walking my dog at night. I was always looking over my shoulder and I, I talked to that same brother-in-law that was a pastor and he said, there's, there are two things I'll tell you, Mike, is that one's, one's, you know, happy, one's sad, right? Like, um, he said, you walked through the middle of their camp and if they can finish the job they started, they will. Mm. And, and then he said, but they can't find the state of Virginia on a map without God's permission. 
And so um, say those two things again. Yeah, he just said he said you walked through the center of their their camp. And and again, I didn't really realize like I thought I heard about this all the time growing up, like Satanism and things like mm-hmm. that. And I was I always pictured it as like in Africa around a campfire, mm-hmm. not in North Carolina, not, you know, in a normal apartment kind of thing. Um, and so this was very new to me. But he said, yeah, you walk through the center of their camp and um, and now, you know, and now they'll finish the job they started if they can. And then he said, but the but the encouraging thing is they they can't even find the state of Virginia on a map without God's permission. And so I did have I did jump into church like immediately. Like I I actually uh, got an apartment as close to the church as I possibly could, so I could walk down to the prayer chapel all the time. And um, and I remember I was serving in this the youth ministry, and I. I made a mistake of like all the, all the friends that I had in Lynchburg at the time were just, you know, they were partiers. It was, Mm. and so they were the people that, Oh, Mike's back. And Mm. I struggled like with the whole idea of, do you distance yourself? And, you know, and it was, it was rough, but I, I remember buying tickets. Everybody knew I liked Dave Matthews and I bought tickets with some friends to go to a Dave Matthews concert and the church right after I purchased the ticket, um, announced that there was like a, we were going to rake leaves for elderly people and I was like, which one should I do? And I went to the concert in Roanoke, Virginia, or Salem, Virginia. And and I'm standing there, and I was just nervous the whole time, like feeling like I needed to be, you know, like surrounded by Christians at this point in my life. And instead, I was at this concert where it's not, I don't even think it's a bad thing to go, but at that time for me, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I'm standing there, and I'm, I look, and my eyes like met Brandon's, and I was like, oh my and my knees started shaking up and down and I was like don't let him know you're scared you know and I ran over to him and I hugged him he was like dude you you won't believe it Casey's over here Kevin's over here come on let's go and he just like grabbed me by the arm and pulled me over there and I could tell that the people that were with them like they had shared the story for sure they're like this is Mike you know and it's like oh that guy (laughs) and I was like oh you guys are talking about it too and I remember you know they asked me to buy him beer because I was of age and they weren't and like at at the end of like interacting with them, I just I remember I hugged the three the three guys. I hugged them and I and I whispered in their ear. I said, "It's true. Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow. Every Look tongue will you. confess." So, um, what yeah. they say? Do they just right on, man? Yeah, give was, me a beer. Is that know. the last time? <laughs> probably, is that the last time you've seen them? That was the last time I've seen them. I've looked. I can't find one online. The one I've found online, and um, one time I was sharing this testimony in. Um, a part of where like the area where he lived Mm -hmm. and I wasn't even thinking about it but it was like he had a very distinct looking Mustang 5.0 and and it also had that personalized license plate and actually the pastor's son the pastor was an older man so the son was like 40 but he came up to me and he said I've seen that car and it just I was like oh I didn't even think about it like this is where he was from Mm. and he said yep there's a it's a crack house that's diagonal from our house and I see that car I know, I know. And I was like, Mm. oh, I have to be more careful of, you know, Mm. not really sharing this. But I've, I've found him. um, He's an interesting character still. He, um, he does acupuncture for a living. (laughs) He, he was into that then too. And it just, he's an interesting interesting guy. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then from there, you, I know, that's a heavy story. That's a heavy story. So from there, though, God leads you into ministry, like, because you're, 
is that what you start on? Does that become your vocation at that point? Like this is what you do all the time or? I took a job. Because um, that's a big leap from that all yeah. of a sudden to ministry. Yeah. I mean, that's a big I had a, with, It was. So that that <laughs> was October 4th, 1997 mm-hmm. that all that happened at Elon College. And then October 4th, 1998, one year later was my first day on the job in Minnesota as a youth pastor. So I had one year where I was like... I helped with youth ministry at my old church and I had a job, you know, a corporate job selling to Erickson. And you're sharing your testimony at this point with people, like when you go into, you know, for jobs and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So how do you think all that impacted your ability to do youth ministry? I mean, you had some experience then with some. Yeah, that was back when, yeah, that was back (laughs) when like DC talk was big and it was like, um, they had a tour called supernatural and it was like, it was in it. I think now, I, I think when I shared that, I'm gonna look at that album. I think it's on. I went to the concert. Yeah, talking. Yeah, <laughs> when I shared that, like years later, I think it it doesn't have like people are less shocked. I think back then, at least in my opinion, like people were kind of like looking for the supernatural, but not feeling like they'd seen it. So now I share this testimony and people seem like they're like, oh yeah, I've heard lots of stuff like that. Mm. Like it, it seems like in the last. 25 years or 20 years, however long it's been, that it's becoming more normal, like that people are like, yeah. But yeah. I feel like I used to get looks like, are you sure this happened that way? Are you sure it wasn't the drugs? Mm. You know, mm. um, I'm like, yeah. Which is no. a normal response it for is. some people. It's fair. And I, Absolutely, which is why fair. I struggle to share it because I yeah. usually like people to believe me, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not making this up. And if you think so, I really don't want to share any more of the story with you. Right. <laughs> you know, that's how I usually you know, mm-hmm, that's yeah. my response. But, but yeah, I, I think, you know, it definitely made me approachable to youth, I think. And I, I was always drawn to the down and outers. So, um, and a lot of times they were, you know, living in a lot of darkness. I remember the kids in Minnesota, I'd go to, I'd go to the lunchroom and, you know, my church, I inherited a very popular youth group, like the previous youth guy was like, get the jocks and the cheerleaders and everybody else will come, which was true. But like, so I would walk into the lunchroom and all the, you know, jocks would be like, Mike. And then, mm. but I'd look for like, you know, there's one kid, Tony Bianco. I was like, I was always looking for Tony and he was, you know, he was a down and outer and it just, I don't know. Those kids just stood out to me more. And I think, yeah, I think it was, I was always looking for the kids that were really living in darkness, not the ones that had everything. So yeah, Yeah, you need those people that have those eyes because so many people are attracted to the popular ones because it's easy. Yeah. I'll tell you about certain. Tony really quick. It's really, really funny to me that he was a kid. He had very crooked teeth. And but when he smiled, his whole face lit up mm. and he didn't smile very often. So it was like, you know, it was like a reward when you got it from him. Aww. And I got a letter from him um, when we lived in Texas in Austin, which was, you know, so it would have made it like. 10 to 15 years later, but he was like, you're the, you know, he sent me a note just saying, you're the only person that ever told me I had a great smile. And I was like, wow. And obviously made an impact. Yeah. Made an impact on him because he remembered it years and years later. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great part of youth ministry. You hear from years later, later. Hey, you mattered. I was like, Mm -hmm. I had no idea I did. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Working with the youth is fun. Love it. So from all that though, you we don't. Do we have to wrap up? I'm exhausted. This I'm exhausted. I know. It's like it's almost. I mean, we've been talking for a while. So that's what. Sorry. Like I'm going. I've okay. Been talking so for a while. no. It's so then. Um, 
as you like youth ministry, you go through, you land here. There's lots of stuff in between, but you married Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, pr- in your youth pastor years, Minnesota. You, yeah, like, so tell I was in Minnesota. Real quick, how you met her? Yeah, so October fourth, nineteen ninety eight, was when I landed there. Karen and I, we met in May. We got engaged in August, yeah. and we got married in October. So we met and married in less than five months, which kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Don't know if I'd recommend that. <laughs> um, pretty sure I wouldn't. I just don't want to go but into all the old. reasons why. But you're older, too. I was older. I was 29. She was 22. Yeah. Um, here's a, I'll tell you a funny story, because I was. this was the one thing that I was going to say real quick from my childhood. So in Minnesota... We're at the, um, what do they call it? A rehearsal dinner? Mm-hmm. Is that what they call it? Friday mm-hmm. night or something? Um, and and Karen has a little like senile grandmother named Grandma Ruth at this point. She's older. And um, and my my best friend gets up to like give a speech, you know, and, and he starts telling of all these like pranks that I did and like all this mischief because I like good pranks and good mischief. And he was telling a story about how when I turned 16, I got my driver's license. I wasn't supposed to drive to this event. We were going to this thing called Destination Unknown from church. You're supposed to ride the bus. And, um, you know, and I just got my driver's license. So I was like, I'm not riding the bus. You know, I'm going to like put my friends in the car car. and drive. So I jumped in the car with three friends and we went and they wouldn't let us in. So we went and we hopped the fence to this pool party. And my principal was someone I had an arch rivalry with, and he was also a youth leader. So he saw us hop the fence and he came over and kicked us out. And I was like, that jerk. And so (laughs) he was driving the bus back to the church from the pool. And, um, and so I was like, Hey guys, watch this. And I pulled out in front of the bus and the back road to the main road was probably three miles long. And I was going five miles an hour in front of him. And they were laughing and they were like laying down in the back seat and like rolling. And, and you know, this went on for like, along you know like 15 minutes they're like mike you gotta stop and i was like no we're doing this all the way to that road you're such a jerk <laughs> I know. you are the jerk i that was is isn't that mean that's mean it's mean to the parents Poor, i know that everybody. now but i couldn't let it go and and they were Sorry. begging me to stop and i was like all the way to the four lane road i'm doing this and i did and he called my dad that night yes he did he called and he said i'm calling your son's license will be taken away and um, <clears throat> it was the first time my dad stood up for me, and he probably shouldn't have stood up for me. But so my my friends telling this story at the rehearsal dinner, um, amongst others. And long story short, like all of a sudden, it's it was like a scene from you know Funny Farm or something. But it gets quiet, and Grandma Ruth, like out of the back, who's like this, she taught you know Bible at Bethel College, like super super staunch, like stiff Christian lady, and like you know Darren probably told one too many stories. And so it was kind of, I felt like it was getting awkwardly long. And, and then Darren goes, well, but, but Mike's completely changed. He's a really good guy now, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden it gets really quiet. And Grandma Ruth goes, he sounds like he was more fun the old way. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah. So that was me. So there's that. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so that's my one childhood story. All right. So yeah. as we wrap up, we yes. have some questions. But one is, the first one is, what do you love about ministry? Hmm. What do you love about being a minister of the gospel? I think that it's like I said that I think like when men of Nehemiah came, mm, like so good for me when a church is successful in like loving people like them, and I was really proud of our church because like like the men of Nehemiah, yes, not them, yes, 
sorry, the men of Nehemiah is a group of people that are like, they have a great ministry. Yeah. Recently saved off the streets, whatever their circumstances were. And then, you know, they come into the church and it was so, it was a breath of fresh air and they're Mm -hmm. like down and outers again. Like they, one guy, I was like, dude, you were my favorite. Cause he's like super expressive. And he was like, he was like, can you tell the director that? Cause he gets on my case for being over the top. And, and I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I've been, he was like, I've been in the program 21 days and I've been a Christian for 22. And so I was like, dude, that's the best. Mm-hmm. So that's, awesome. that's still my, don't you know, squash and my being like, And I'm putting this in quotes, quote unquote, over the top is I think very normal for a new believer who's an adult who's been through some stuff. Yeah. Right? So I mean, that's that's a new life. That's he has true. a new exactly. life. He's celebrating it. He's excited. I, was like, I would say that is very, very common. Those are the breath of fresh air because mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, because they are. They're they're glowing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you love seeing like that kind of life change. And I love that. I love when you know when like people like me like I I can lose the fire and it's like when I'm around people like that it just it excites me again. And so I think that that did that for our church those reinvigorating moments and you know it's it just seems like we can we can feel like we're all cleaned up and we're no longer in need of Jesus as much as we once were. But that's not true. That's not true. Mm-mm. So that's my favorite. And so, um, what are the things, so then we're asking the opposite. What's Mm. the hardest part about being in ministry? What is difficult? Hmm. I don't know. I think I've, I think what was difficult was that I, you know, everybody wants to be liked and I, I want people Mm -hmm. to be grateful for, you know, whatever it is I'm doing. And, I, I think I've gotten over it though. I think now I'm like, you know what? If 75% of people like me, then I'm doing fine. Like mm-hmm. I'm not looking for 100% approval rating anymore, mm-hmm. but at one time I was. And mm-hmm. so like, if anybody, it's hard for a people pleaser. Yeah, yeah, sure. I can tell. So, you know, that. when you make changes, which like, I feel like that's what I like to do is bring change. I don't, I'm not a maintainer. Mm-hmm. I'd like to build and go forward. And like, I, I have a hard time caring about the past. I care about the now and the future. And so I think that's what depletes me is when we, you know, churches can often, um, there are the people that don't like change. I guess Mm -hmm. that's it. Like you, you think that the old ways are going to keep working. And, you know, again, like what I keep seeing is like, you know, how our church might be doing it the old way. And our town is so far in the future. And it's like, if we want to reach people, that's like a, there's a big eight, uh, there are years, mm-hmm. there's a gap that we need to, we need to do some things different to reach those people. Mm-hmm. So I think when people don't want to change, um, that bothers me. And when people aren't authentic, you know, mm-hmm. I think we need to probably talk more about our failures than our successes. I think that's makes us more approachable. So interesting. It's good. We always do a lightning round it. at the end real fast. Christy has some real quick questions for you. Mm-hmm. Let me go through all my failures real fast, and then we can go. Just <laughs> yes, well, we please. don't have that kind of time. Oh, let's go, Christy. We don't I'll have that kind of time. Uh, everybody <laughs> wants to know hours of podcasting. I'm okay. interviewing you next time. <laughs> exactly. Okay. What is the last show that you binge watched and loved? Mm, okay, we just talked about that before we started. We are watching a show that um, it's dark, so be forewarned. But it's called Big Little Lies, mm-hmm. and um, it's a really I like things like that. Not like for Breaking children. Breaking Bad. It is not for children, and it may not even be for adults. But um, that's but true. But it, it makes me, you know, when I watch dark shows, it makes me more grateful, I guess. 
So really, you don't get sucked into the darkness because I do. I find myself then walking around with like a darkness. I can't sleep. Filter. So sleep's important to me. He's so got I a filter. Sleep, so He's better than us. He has yeah, a filter. There you, go. <laughs> we don't have, don't, you compartmentalize better than we can. Yeah. yeah. And okay. I know a lot of people like that who can oh, yeah. do that. I, I just can't. But My I know wife can't. Can. So it's kind of yeah. weird. She's watching it with me, but it's like a train wreck. She can't look away right now. She's uh, like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't watch this. Yeah. yeah. But, I get that. Okay. What is something that people often get wrong about you? I th- I say this from time to time, and it is true. But people think I'm nicer than I am. Like when they meet me, they're like, "Oh, he's so nice. He's gonna." And I'm like, "But I'm very opinionated, and I'm mm. very strong." Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's it funny. We had another people. pastor sit here that said there was the opposite. opposite. People think I'm meaner than I am, and David I'm actually said that. very nice. David, David, <laughs> yeah. when we talked oh, he's to him. really mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, David. It's great. This is a ladies' podcast. Right? That's right. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, so what is your biggest pet peeve? Hmm. Man, I don't even know. What would be my biggest pet peeve? I'll have to think about that one next. Okay, we'll come back. Oh, no one's done that before. Okay, so the noisy narrative is about cutting through the noise and getting to the heart of the matter. What is your narrative right now? So fill in the blank. Blank narrative. Like what season of life are you in that you would say this is the narrative that's taking place in your heart, your brain, your mind? Hmm. Interesting. I I feel like, I don't know if this is going to answer your question exactly, but in November, I visited a friend's um, quote-unquote church. It was an interesting little deal. Um, and I felt like I was clearly told to wait. And I've been pondering that for a while. I don't know what I'm waiting for, mm-hmm. but I've been told to wait, which is probably a good thing for me because mm-hmm. it means slow it means don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. It means stay put. And so mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out what that means. But it mm-hmm. was wait. I like that. I like so. how you even pulled out all those action words that involve your waiting. Like we've mm-hmm. just seen. You do like to get up and go and move. And so God's like, no, wait. Okay, if you are a ghost at your funeral. What do you hope people say about you? Or mm. you can be in heaven looking down if you're offended by the word ghost. Mm. Um, you can't say that you were a good and faithful servant, and then you can't say that you love, love Jesus. Jesus because we know that about you already. Yeah. So mm. you got to pick something else that's uniquely Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, if you asked my family about me, they would be like, "Yeah, you know, there's that whole thing, right? Of like, Pastor Dad is not perfect yeah. at all, far from right. it." And so <clears throat> I think it would be something like that like that despite all of my crazy like people know that i loved them and especially my family Mm, my kids that's good so speaking of that what would your kids say your pet peeve is (laughs) um (laughs) oh man i i what comes to mind is like and it happens right now so when you were asking about like are we looking forward to the empty nest like my kids are night owls and so like it does no good to go to bed before midnight because they will bound into yes. our bedroom and yes and so we had that just... issues this summer when everybody was home they'd be up around like i mean yeah it's hard right you lose sleep so is that a pet peeve is yeah that what you're saying yeah i mean i'm an early <laughs> like naturally i'm an early to bed guy i never get to go early to bed yeah except when i was in wyoming last week off the grid yeah like i got to go do what I needed to do. All right. Well, this was a interesting conversation. Learned a lot about you. Thank you for Mike. sharing. Sorry, all that. it was so much of a monologue, but thank you for no, having well, me. But it was a good one. Friend. Some yeah. monologues are horrible and boring. Yours was not. So thank you. And we didn't interrupt you, which is good. That means it was yeah. really good. 
That's right. We're all waiting to hear the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but thank you for sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable, transparent. Mm-hmm. We'll honest have, and real. Yes, and honest and real. The stuff we like. Um, anyway, so that's it from us from Noisy Narratives today. Um, everybody, thanks, Mike, for being here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, until next time, everyone, this is Noisy Narratives out. Bye. Life can be amazing.